The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Indeed, there she is. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are, I surprised you, you are in the right place. Today's buzz, well, I have to say a song. I'm not going to sing it. I wouldn't want to upset anybody, but it's. let's just go with this. It's a Davey, David Bowie lyric. Chicha changes. Just going to have to be a different man. Time may change me, but I can't trace time. There you go, David Bowie. Yes, the English singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, record producer, arranger, painter, and actor. He's now 68 years old. Who would have known? Let me get into the topic here. So the big operative word here is change. And the big question is, and everybody, I want you to look in the mirror. Have we become, we collectively, the reluctant generation frozen in fear of change in a world that now gives us, you know what, more information, faster, more access to ideas and data and connectivity with people than ever before. I'm talking to you, the HR leader. That's what our show is, Game Changing HR Leaders. So let's now take more of a reality look at what's going on in your world. Let's look at HR's slowness to adopt new technology. You might even say HR is paralyzed in helping leaders lead and helping leaders lead employees through change. And that's a big, tall order here. So a couple of key questions. Is managing change a key to your company's being able to engage top talent and to retain them? That's what you need to do, but... Is managing change part of that equation? And perhaps more important, now this is a really serious question. I want you all to think about this. Is your organization allergic to change? Oh, my goodness, what a concept. It's possible truth time is right here, right now on this radio show, and you might have to admit it, but we're going to see if we can change, aha, your minds. We have a panel of experts who are going to help me unravel this very interesting topic. Our topic technically today is a world of pain or change. Oh, we're trying to say change. Of course we are. First up on the panel. A gentleman who was on one of our Game Changers shows a while ago. It's been way too long. It's Malcolm. He told me I can call him Mal. Mal Poulin, P-O-U-L-I-N. Or for those of you who don't like French, Mal Poulin. He is the Senior Director of Strategy and Market Relations for a company called Anciel, A-N-C-I-L-E, all in caps. And Mal has sent me a wonderful quote 
from the 1977, yes, that far back, Woody Allen movie called Annie Hall. And just let me give you an overview of the movie. Comedian Alvy Singer, played, of course, by Woody Allen, examines the rise and fall of his relationship with struggling nightclub singer Annie Hall, played by the one and only Diane Keaton. Speaking directly to the audience in front of a bare background, he reflects, reflects briefly on his childhood, never briefly enough, Woody, and early adult years before settling in to tell the story of how he and Annie Hall met, fell in love, and struggled with the obstacles of modern romance, such as it was back in 1977. Man, has it changed since then. Here's the quote. 80% of life is showing up. Mal Poulin, welcome. How are you? Great. How about you? I'm fine. Thanks for this very interesting quote. There is some debate over whether Woody really said it, and I think one of his colleagues on the production team of Annie Hall said that Woody said it, so therefore... Woody Allen said it, and that's good enough for me. And there are variations, 80%, 75%, 80% of showing up is life, all kinds of things. But I love the way you put it. 80% of life is showing up. How does that relate to our topic today about HR and change? Mel? Well, it relates in two ways. It relates to a a theme my my wife and I have given to our adult children over all the years, and it is a matter of being present and showing up and arriving and making your presence known and cared. But really, that transposes to the workforce as well. I mean, I'm often asked, you know, what's the most important thing to ensure a successful change? And that's governance and executive sponsorship and leadership and presence. So it is a matter of showing up. Nowadays, we have to do it a little bit more electronically than we used to back in 1977. But the whole concept is really making sure everybody's in. Mal, do you agree with me that some companies are allergic to change and that HR is not really doing a great job at training leaders to lead themselves and their teams through change? What do you think? Well, I'm going to say yes to the first, and I don't want to point fingers on the second. I think from the <laughs> first, I would say yes from the allergy perspective, but we're all allergic to change, whether at work or at home or at school or at church or wherever. I think we're all reluctant or allergic to change because it's painful, but I don't want to lay the blame on the lack of ability in a business environment on just HR. I think our HR leaders are are in a position of being able to facilitate it, but the lead of the change is those who own the change, and they might need help, but I don't think we can lay it at the feet of somebody else only. Very interesting. So there's, I won't say a shared blame, I'll say a shared responsibility. Do you think, uh, quickly, before we go on to our second and third panelists, Mel, do you think people in general are embracing the fact that change is our constant, change is the new normal, get over it, get used to it, what do they say, lead me, follow me, but or just get out of my way? What do you think? It is our reality today, isn't it? I, I think people are adopting the, the fact that change is constant. I think it's, it, again, it's true in our personal world, whether you're dealing with your own uh, phone or tablet or whatever, everything is constantly changing there and what, how you work with that. But I think they're seeing it in an organizational environment as well, that things just change so fast. They're, they're, everybody's getting to the point where they realize this is it. This is how we live. We're living in constant change. So managing it is a huge talent and a KPI for success in an organization. 
I love the way you say it's a talent. I like that a lot. We'll come back to that. Thank you again for joining us, Mal. And don't be a stranger. we got to get you back on more often. And let's talk to our newcomer panelist. His name is Avish Parashar. I'm going to spell his first name, A-V-I-S-H. He performs, teaches, and directs improv with the Full Circle Theater. And uh, I am such a fan of improv because I studied it. My first cable TV show I ever produced and hosted was called What's So Funny? And I invited all my improv class friends out to my studio and we played games for hours and I chopped them up into 30 minute segments and made tons of interesting TV shows out of them so I'm a big fan of that so Avisha sent me a fascinating quote from somebody named General Eric Shinseki S-H-I-N-S-E-K-I. I was not familiar with the name, so I'm going to share with you what I learned. Eric Ken, K-E-N, middle name, Shinseki, is a retired U.S. Army general who served as the 7th U.S. Secretary of Veterans Affairs. His final U.S. Army post was 34th Chief of Staff of the Army. But what's most interesting is that he's a veteran of two tours of combat in the Vietnam War, in which he was awarded three bronze stars of value, two valor, two Purple Hearts, and he was both the first Asian-American four-star general in 1997 and the first Secretary of Veterans Affairs as an Asian man. And here is the quote, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. Boy, that's pointing the finger. Avish Parashar, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? I'm fine. Tell me something. What's your Twitter handle? I want to tweet about you. I'm so excited you're on the show. Oh, super. Yeah, my Twitter handle is Avish P. So A-V-I-S-H-P. Perfect. So go on. Tell me about this interesting quote. And you, in improv and, and in audience presentations, how did you come across this general for your quote? I'm very interested. Well, to be honest, I came across the quote before I came across the general. So uh, you know, being <laughs> a speaker and whatnot, I'm constantly looking for quotes, sayings, information. And uh, yeah, I came across that one. I thought it summarized the concept of the importance of change just perfectly, uh, then, you know, you do a little research on the person to make sure you're not accidentally quoting someone uh, evil or who just went and completely <laughs> failed after they said those brilliant words. Uh, so he sounded like a pretty good person to quote. Well done, and I appreciate that. Thank you. And that's, that's a very interesting way to find a quote and check out and make sure you're not quoting the wrong poison. Thank yeah. you very much. So what appealed to you about this quote? It's a wonderful quote. Avish, go ahead. Well, to me, this is the whole reason why we need to change. Um, we don't. Some people want to change for change's sake, but you know everything's going great for you. It's like, well, why change? But I think this quote sums up that even if things are going great right now, uh, things will change, and even the best can become irrelevant if they just stay stuck the way they are. Um, so I just like it from a business perspective, from even from a personal perspective. Like my uh, my parents, who are from India, they are the most technologically unsavvy people I know, and they are just afraid of everything. So they have um, completely avoided technology, and they are losing out. All their relatives are using technology overseas, and I'm like, Mom, Dad, you guys are missing the opportunity to communicate face-to-face for free with all these people you only see once a year, and they're just so unwilling to change, they're missing out. And so that's like a personal example of how um, change is so important. Without it, we lose out, we miss opportunities, and we just for business, you become irrelevant in the marketplace. 
Very interesting. And uh, if your parents need some inspiration, you can tell them that my mom, who's going to be 99 on February 1st, has a computer in each of her homes. And she's on email <laughs> almost every day. And she carries a cell phone with her. And she goes tsk, tsk to her friends, who are most of them in their 90s. One is over 100 right now. Her best friend, Gertrude, is going to be 102 soon. And she goes tsk, tsk. Why aren't you embracing technology like I am? She doesn't say it quite that way. So I'll have your parents call my mom or they'll oh, she'll call them do. on her cell phone okay we'll we'll take care of this we'll handle it thank you very much avish pleasure to meet you and thanks again for a ve- i think that quote is is going to have a long life here on game changers radio speaking of a long life on game changers radio up next to sherry and meyer <laughs> I, yeah, I had to, to say that. <laughs> well you know you're one of my few sponsors who is on every single week and that certainly is getting used to a lot of change in your own schedule and sherry Ann is our movie expert uh, she's not talking this week about Kate and Leopold or Legally Blonde or The Wizard of Oz. She has brought us a quote from the 2000 film Pay It Forward. And if anybody read the novel by Catherine Ryan Hyde, released in 1999, that's what became the movie and the screenplay was written by someone else. Here is uh, just a little synopsis. Young Trevor McKinney. Troubled by his mother's alcoholism and fears of his abusive but absent father, is caught up by an intriguing assignment from his new social studies teacher, Mr. Simonet, or Mal in French we would say Monsieur Simonet. The assignment (laughs) is think of something to change the world and put into action. Trevor conjures the notion of paying a favor, not back, but forward repaying good deeds not with payback but with new good deeds done to three people and i'll stop right there and here's the quote from trevor who sherry ann tells me was age 12 in the movie here we go i guess it's hard for people who are so used to things the way they are even if they're bad to change because they kind of give up and when they do everybody kind of loses sherry ann another winner how are you my dear i'm doing great bonnie great to be back thank you Oh, well, every week, here you are, here I am. we got to stop meeting like this. So talk to me. Uh, is this one, another one of your top fav- 200 favorite movies? How did you find this quote, Sherrianne? Oh, this, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. Um, you, you know me, I like to laugh as much as anybody else, and I, I like comedies, I like rom-coms, but this one just touches the heart. Um, and my daughters and I watched it very often. Um, and what I love about it is that Trevor's 12, what a great age. I mean, he's still impressionable, but he's just on the cusp of becoming that, like, sort of adult that we all wonder what is going on in their heads, right? And he's such a great kid. But what's concerning about his statement is that people do give up, and then everyone does lose. Um, and the story, the movie is great. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Um, it's it's inspirational, I think. Um, but Trevor's right on. You know, we have to be able to go with the flow and open up our hearts and our minds a little bit more. Isn't that interesting? A 12 year old character saying that to the adults. And what was your favorite part about the movie? Was it when he embraced this assignment or was it how it worked out? What, what did you like the best? If you're going to continue to promote this movie for us, what did you really enjoy? Well, you about know, it? it's funny because I picked up something different from it every time I watched it, but I remember the first time I watched it being, I don't know, a little bit scared for the kid. <laughs> When he was out in the beginning and he was um, working with a bum on the street and he just took him into his home and I was like, oh, my God, what are you doing? You know, as a mother, I was like, oh, my God. And that just became his first pay it forward. And the, the cha- by taking that risk, the change that, that Trevor initiated in his community 
And the trickle-down effect of that change to other people was just enormous. And so when you watch it the first time, you're kind of like, oh, my God, like every other skeptic and every other mom and dad out there, what is he doing? Stop doing that, you know. And you realize, wow, I really have to look at myself a little bit deeper. Well, thank you very much. We can be inspired by those who came long after we got here, can't we, Sherry Ann? Thank you very yeah. much. I'm, I always, I, you know what? After this, you're doing 13 weeks on this series. I'm looking forward to my collection of 13 movie recommendations, and we're, I think, we're up to <laughs> episode number 11. So, thank you very much. I'll have a lot to do if it's uh, slow over the holidays. So, we're going to circle back to Malpool and see. I'm pronouncing it the English way, Malpool <laughs> at. And Mal, how do you pronounce your company? Is it Anseal or Ansile? I want to make that right. It's too. actually three syllables, Ansile. Ansile. Oh, I got to put an accent aigu. We're back to French. Yeah. You're killing me it here, Mal. Back in Greek, Greek mythology, but I won't drag you through that. Well, another time, another show. Talk to Sherry Ann about that. So, by the way, <laughs> did you know that Woody Allen's real name is Haywood Allen? H-E-Y-W-O-O-D. Did you know that? I did not know that. Well, that's what Wikipedia told me. Okay, so let's get out of his personal life, and let's get into <laughs> yours. Mal Poulin, it's time for What's in Your Cup today. We want to know a little bit more about you. Where are you calling from? What time of day or evening is it, or morning? And what are you drinking right this minute, or what do you plan to drink after the show? Well, right now, I'm speaking to you from the 39th floor of an SAP building in downtown Chicago, but I hail from the Washington, D.C. area myself. I happen to be able to score a conference room that I could come in and do this quickly today and, and quiet, as quietly as I hope we, <laughs> it is. And um, I'm actually drinking something that was just opportune in a nearby refrigerator, and all it is is lime-flavored <laughs> seltzer. But my story about what's in my cup has nothing to do with that. It kind of goes back to that family situation I was talking about earlier, is that one of my claims of success at home is that um, for the morning cup, I've been delivering my wife's tea or coffee to her bedside for over 36 years, and it's working. Whoa. So what it's saying it's is working. It's it when forward. did you figure out it was working, Mal? <laughs> <laughs> 35 years. <laughs> well, but I was going to say, Mazel Tov to, to you. Go ahead, continue. Thank you. I was just going to say, the really important part is not what's in the cup. It changes from year to year year to year, but really it's it's a matter of realizing it's about what's around the cup and all that goes along with that. So it is it is the life part of it, not just the cup and not just the drink. So that's where I find myself. I've, I've had a, a long past within the corporate learning and change management arena for all these years and go back to being a, a technical classroom instructor years ago with Digital Equipment Corporation, but now I find myself in this building talking about this topic and I'm thrilled to join. Well, we are thrilled. I used to uh, work with people who were on deck machines when I was a programmer analyst. I think I was a systems liaison back in the day, and the company I was working for was a big deck customer. So there, you're bringing back memories. Thank you very much. It's a good and let's talk to our, wait, they are, wait, our newcomer. Deck? What's a deck, guys? <laughs> Mal, tell her what. It was Digital Equipment Corporation. Mal, what did it look like? Did it have a shape? Did it have a color? Oh, what was they it? were all big refrigerators is what they were, Just the, and they had less power than any phone you ever purchased ever but they but they ran factories and they ran whole businesses it was very impressive back in the 70s and 80s very impressive indeed thank you very much there's a flashback avish uh, <laughs> 
Parashar, our, I think our, you're our, definitely our youngest one on the panel today, if I'm not mistaken. We'd love to know, with your background, uh, are you drinking whatever, like Mal did, finding soda in the refrigerator in a conference room somewhere, or did you purposely pick what you're drinking and tell us what it is, Avish? Well, right now, I'm uh, purposely drinking water so I don't lose my voice, but since you had asked about potentially what we're going to drink later, uh, I'm planning on enjoying a nice small glass of Knob Creek bourbon. Ooh. And, uh, Ooh. Tell us, uh, what is that? Well, it's a bourbon, and uh, it's a pretty well-known brand. And, you know, it's funny because, uh, speaking of youngest on the call, I'm currently 42. And a few years back, you know, I decided that I needed to upgrade my drinking, uh, as weird as that <laughs> sounds, uh, but bear with me. It's that uh, I figured if I was going to go to business meetings, it'd be a little awkward for me just to order a beer or um you know, a college-type drink, like a whiskey sour or something. So I figured I needed to start having a drink that, you know, would look kind of, well, for lack of a better word, manly. Uh, But it turns out I hate scotch, uh, which seems to be the drink that everyone likes. So I just started experimenting, kind of go through that change system of just trying new things. And uh, I found that bourbon was actually a little bit sweet, which I like. And it's funny, as I researched, I found that a lot of drinks that sound very masculine are actually just excuses to have sweet drinks, like Manhattan... (laughs) And mint julep and uh, old fashioned. I, I thought this was a nasty drink, I, but I wouldn't even dream of tweeting that. It would just come out wrong. I probably <laughs> would. No um, way. Talk I'm about improv. And now this is the newest one I'm trying, and it's great. And so, what is it called again? It's called not. What Nob, was it? K N O B Creek. Right, Knob Creek. Very interesting. I'm going to recommend that to somebody I know. Bourbon. Okay. Thank you very much. Duly noted and private, not in public. Okay. Your secret is safe with me. Thank you very much. I'm sure Eric Ken Shinseki would be very, very proud of you if he knew you quoted him and you were drinking Knob Creek bourbon. Let's leave it at that. Sherry Ann Meyer, you're running out of interesting drinks to share with us every week on the show, but you never run out of movies. So what are you drinking today? (laughs) I have tea today. I have Yogi Echinacea Immune Support because I've been fighting uh, a cold for a couple of weeks. But, oh, my God, this stuff smells amazing. Uh, it's got all kinds of things in it besides the echinacea. It's got licorice and cinnamon and cloves, and it's, it's very comforting on a damp fall day. Very nice. And where are you calling from that it's damp? I know it's fall, but where is it damp? Uh, Pennsylvania, just a little bit north of Philadelphia. Okay, well, here on Long Island, it's getting a little grayer. It's a little chilly, I'm guessing, high 50s, low 60s, but I don't see damp yet. But I know we have rain coming tomorrow, so maybe you're going to push it down to us or maybe we'll push it over to you, whatever it is. So be it, as long as it's not snow. Somebody told me there was snow on Long Island last week already. I know, I know. Get ready for it. Talk about change. Our topic today is a world of pain or change. We're really talking about HR and change. Are you ready for it? Are you embracing it? Do you know what to do with it? Are you ready to lead people through it? Is it the key to attracting and retaining the best talent, which is going to help power your company for the future? We're basically talking about the future. Change is here and it's not going away anytime soon. And by the way, the David Bowie lyrics I quoted in the beginning are from the song called Change from 1971. There you go. So we're talking today with Mal Poulin from I think I got it right. Avish <laughs> Parashar. Avish, are we saying that you're with Full Circle Theater? Do you have another company you want to mention today? Uh, yeah, no, Full Circle is just a very kind of, I do improv, but the um, main thing is it's, it's called Avish Parashar Productions. Um, so it's my kind of speaking and training business. 
Okay, well, we'll put that down. Thank you. And Sherry Ann Meyer from ASUG, that's America's SAP User Group, who is the sponsor of this show. So we're very happy to be here. We're talking about change, change, change. And that sounds, Sherry Ann, like the song, chain, chain, chain. We just stick a GE on the end and we've got change, change, change. And I like that one even better. We'll be right back after the break with a lot more to talk about. We're going to start off the roundtable talking with Mal Poulin, and he's got a great topic here that's called Managing Change with Teeth. Getting a bite out of change, accountability and validation. But we'll tell you more when we come back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Justin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The world of work is changing faster than ever, and the future will be defined by how quickly human resources can adapt and lead through accelerated, ongoing change. A corporate culture that embraces differences and innovation is among the top winning strategies for business success. How can human resources shape such a culture in their organizations? One that is moving forward in step with business development, acquisitions, mergers, digitally demanding employees and customers, and changing workforce dynamics. Join our experts as they share game-changing ideas and strategies for leading business success through the next millennium. Game-Changing HR Leaders is presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP, America's SAP Users Group's Recharge HR. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to game-changing HR leaders. Welcome back. And you know the word changing is part of the title of this series, game-changing HR leaders. So we're talking to HR leaders and we're specifically today talking about change. I'm happy to start the roundtable in earnest. As my mother always likes to say, is his name Ernest? Is he sincere? And I usually try to say yes. Mal Poulin, we're going to kick it off with some notes that you sent me before the show. Allow me to just read a little and then you'll expand for us, please. You say managing change with teeth and you define that as accountability and validation. And you say rather than writing emails, pushing send and praying, we need to ensure the workforce gets it and gets it. In other words, ensure they received it and they comprehended it before going to the next step. And how does this relate to our topic of being a change agent? Go ahead, Mel. Well, it relates by empowering those who need to facilitate the change. You know, I think there's so much the conversation about sharing and collaboration in relation to, you know, change initiatives and, and needs to change within the business. And that's good. I'm all for sharing. It's a very nice humanitarian act. But I think what will really make the change is action. So I think when we, when we have something to say to our workforce about what's about to change or what is changing every day, we need to make sure that people really understood it and that they received it and internalized it 
And then we also need to validate that that's all true. So I think one of the things we need to do is empower ourselves, whether it's with technologies or methods or strategies, but always governance, to really make sure that we put some teeth behind it and hold all of ourselves accountable for managing the change through, even from the standpoint of representing it on a dashboard. Mal, question for you. When we talk, let's, let's do a little level setting here. We're talking about change. Yeah. We're bandying the word around. When we talk about change in an organization, change management, change agents, are we talking about, okay, everyone, we're switching from Outlook to another email system. Okay, everyone, you're going to have a blue key card to get in the door instead of a red one starting Monday at 7 o'clock in the morning. How much change qualifies for what we're discussing today with you and Avish and Sherry Ann? Mal, what are we talking about? Well, I think from a method perspective, it applies to it all. When, when I get a chance to talk about it, I always talk about adoption of change is the true evidence of success of that initiative, that change initiative. And sometimes it's about change of software. Sometimes it's about change of process. Sometimes these days it's about change of organization, especially with the pace of acquisitions and mergers that are going on, mm-hmm. as well as, again, even just environment. I mean, you could be changing from a, from a smoking to a no-smoking environment or, you know, different colored gloves on the hospital floor. Whatever the change happens to be, it's recognizing it from the eye of the beholder, of the person who needs to change. And it's always significant, no matter what it is. So I think what we're really doing is talking about uh, a strategy and a methodology of execution that works regardless of how what the change is and how severe it is. You know, we talk about change from the standpoint of dealing with people who are already on board, already part of our team and the like. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we find is, from an HR perspective, we spend a lot of time about uh, focusing on onboarding new employees. Well, there's not much more significant change than a uh, change of employment for an individual. We can apply the same theory as well. We need to push information and ensure that they got it and that they got it every day. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And I have to do a shout out to Karen Geraldo, who is listening to both of our shows today. She was tweeting earlier about our Coffee Break with Game Changers flagship show, which was live at 11 a.m. this morning. And she's now tweeting about the three of you. So thank you, Karen Geraldo. She's tweeting at K-H-E-R-A-L-D-O 24. She's with Deloitte in Canada. Thank you, Karen. And let's go to Avish Parashar. Avish, love to hear what you think about what Mal Poulin shared about the the definition of change, change management, about getting it and getting it. What do you observe? Uh, well, I observe that the, I mean, I, I totally appreciate the message. Uh, you know, one of the lessons in improvisation, uh, if you're talking straight performance, is mm-hmm. if I do something on stage and you don't get it, it's my responsibility, not my partner's. And so uh, I totally agree. A lot of problems are lost in communication. You send the email off. Uh, and what I really like the mouse said is about empowerment and taking action. And while Mal was talking a little bit about the systems and things that are in place, uh, everything I do pretty much comes down to mindset. And I think that empowerment mentality all starts with giving people a little bit of room to fail, I think is where it really goes off the rails. Because, yeah, we can say, hey, people are empowered. But if they're afraid that if they use that power and do the wrong thing, they're going to get criticized, slapped down, look negatively upon when it comes to promotion and raise time, they're just going to sit around and wait for something to happen to them, which is why everyone gets paralyzed. So I love the idea of empowerment, but I think it starts at the, at the mental level, just getting people willing to embrace that power um, and creating an environment where they can take little steps and see what happens. 
And that's so interesting you would do that with my, my compared to you, minor background in improv, and, and I did stand up and improv for a couple of years, Avish, changes, that's the core. Improv is you don't know what's coming next, but you are willing to be flexible and embrace it and be in the moment, be in the room, spontaneous. So that that is the core, isn't it? Accepting change and rolling with it. We, could we agree on that? Uh, it is. And in fact, improvisers, newer ones or ones who maybe are not trained the way I would like them to be trained. Uh, mm. You know, I would say an improviser is in danger once they think they know where things are going. Um, yes. Because... Now they get fixed, they get rigid, they lose their creativity. It's just being in the moment and saying, here's where we're going to go, and wherever we end up, we're going to make it great. And and thank you, Avish. And I have to bring in your – you had two alternate quotes to the one we shared from Eric Shinseki, and this, I think, is a perfect time to bring those into the conversation before we invite Sherry Ann to talk about this. The second quote you sent me was from Winston Churchill, and the quote is, to improve is to change. To be perfect is to change often. And I think that's acknowledging the cycle that nobody's going to be perfect ever, so you really have to keep changing often. It's a it's an elusive target. The third quote you sent me is from Robert C. Gallagher, and the quote is, change is inevitable except from a vending machine. Okay, everybody, the laugh sign just came on. Sherry Ann and Mal start laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> and right on cue, right on cue. There, they were willing to change and be flexible. Avish, and either one of these quotes, your favorite in addition to the Shinseki, would you have preferred I picked one of these two, or are you good with the one I selected from the three you so graciously sent me? I, I like them all. I think the, the one you picked is probably the most you know relevant to, to, to play on the words. Uh, yes. But I love the other two. Obviously, I love the change, uh, the vending machine one, because it's, it's just funny. And uh, you know, earlier you, had, you were talking to Mal about uh, people being allergic to change. I think everyone is totally open to change when they're thinking about everyone else. Uh, so... We tell others that everything changes. We want them to change. But when it comes to us, eh, you know, maybe we'll avoid it. I have to tweet that. Everyone is open to change when it it's for someone else. Okay. Is that good enough? That's okay. Great. Good. Sherry Ann, a lot we've been talking about. Love to get your POV. Talk to me. Wow. Well, on the last point, um, that's the funny part about HR. They do have to think about everyone else all the time. In fact, I think that's sometimes why they become in that analysis to paralysis mode. Um, life in HR, if you've ever worked on a stint in the human resources department, which I have, is a day in HR is like an improv show. <laughs> um, you never know what's going to happen next, and you have to be ready and standing on your feet with all the answers. So I think it's particularly challenging in the human resources area to implement change. Um, I think there's a lot of, well, there's always a lot of compliance in HR. There's a lot of worrying about keeping lawyers away and doing the right things from both a personal and interpersonal relations perspective and legal perspective. And so I think sometimes HR overthinks it. Um, but definitely when they're trying to implement a change, they're thinking about every single one in the organization, and that makes it so much harder to implement the change. The communications are from the lowest level on the shop floor or driving the truck up to the CEO, and very often the HR person is more in touch with the CEO, the CXOs of the organization, and influenced by what that person needs to hear and then might miss, first off, what the average worker needs to hear. I think change is just particularly challenging for HR leaders, um, and they all know it's part of their job, but it's, it's a challenge every single day. Thank you, Sherry Ann and Avish. Mal, before we move on to some topics from the notes that Avish Parashar sent me before the show, I want to ask you a question. You talk about 
the responsibility of HR when it is acting as a change agent or an agent of change to leading leaders, leading employees, is to make sure everybody gets it and gets it. So the question is, our workforce, at least five generations, I say at least because I don't think we know what's coming up the pike next, who's going to be recruited next. We have at least five generations working shoulder to shoulder, side by side, laptop to laptop, uh, Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi. Maybe that's the best description. And the question is, how do you make sure they get it to get it? So are we talking about it? And Sherry Ann and I have spoken about this on other HR radio shows. What Do you have to have a choice of methods and be flexible in some of your people will learn virtually. Some will learn with face-to-face training. Some will learn in a webinar scenario. Some will learn by reading a book or a manual. So just quickly, Mal Poulin, how flexible does HR need to be in ensuring that everybody gets it and gets it? Quick overview from you. Well, I think the, the flexibility there is in establishing a framework that allows people to do what they need to do. So it's not so much that HR is responsible for doing all of that training and information management and flow and the like. I think what it is is that uh, HR is responsible for ensuring those who do know can enable those who need to know. But the magic isn't just in being able to tell. But like you said, Bonnie, putting it in formats and in places that are consumable by everybody. But since the old time is money adage is always upon us, it really is a matter of developing all this information once and putting it out there in this framework so people can consume it as they want to or better yet, as they need to. Sherry Ann talked about the driver of the truck. It could be a young person driving the truck or an old person driving the truck, but regardless, they need mobile access to that content in order to get it. Otherwise, it grows stale real fast if they have to wait to get back into the depot for paper. So I think it's a framework um, a question more from an HR perspective to make sure that those are empowered, those people are empowered to do what they need to do to transmit and share this information in the format that works for the receiver. Thank you very much, Mal. Very, very well put, as I knew you would. Thank you. And Avish, you're up. I'm looking at your notes, and here's a very interesting comment here. The greatest limiting factor to future success is often current success. And you add, what got us here won't get us there, but we're either too organizationally, physically, or mentally, emotionally connected to our current processes, and you have a good example. So why don't you give us the case study, Avish, and how does this all relate to take us back into our topic of change management and sticking with what works? Talk to me. Uh, sure. Well, what we know is what makes us comfortable, but that can also be very dangerous. So the, the study or the story I sent over to you uh, is one we all know, which is Blockbuster Video. Uh, 10, 15 years ago, you can go more than a few blocks a mile down your street before you saw another blockbuster that were just taken over. But once Netflix started coming out and delivering movies to the home, blockbusters did not change. They did not react. Um, they probably had the mentality of, oh, things, this won't take on. And eventually they tried to get into the game, but they did it far too late, and now blockbuster is gone. And so just because you instituted a business model, a marketing strategy, a technology that made you a market leader, that's not going to be enough. And then what happens is Blockbuster built all of their systems, all of their mindset around this current success, which made it very, very hard for them to change, which is why the balance comes, right? That, uh, you know, an old cliched uh, metaphor is that giant, it's very hard to turn a giant cruise ship, whereas a speedboat can turn very quickly. 
So the cruise ship has momentum, but can't make adjustments. And that's what happens. We need to be very wary when we get really comfortable with a system because once things change, we're going to need to be able to adapt and move on from that. Thank you very much. I love the case study. Sherry Ann, thoughts on what Avishta shared, please. Well, that, this is the interesting thing that I always talk about is if you always do what you always did, you're always going to get the same results. Mm-hmm. And Blockbuster didn't see the future. And that's actually what I fear for HR, that HR and HR were so deeply embedded in the day-to-day routines. And especially if you're a low-growth company and you're really focused on managing the workforce to um, some pretty tight constraints, I don't think you have time to really see the future or plan for the future, and I think it's very likely to come up and bite us in the butt, um, just as it did Blockbuster, because we can't see um, forward enough. Um, and then I also have some concerns about, you know, people our age making decisions for the rest of the world. <laughs> we didn't grow up on cell phones. We didn't grow up digital. Um, our opinions are certainly different than the generation who's going to actually use this technology and the software and the processes that we put in place starting today. And so I wonder, like, isn't there another way to go about making decisions through um, profiling or focus groups or something? Um, you know, I just con- get concerned that, you know, we're not really seeing the future for what it's going to be for the next generation that's going to be around. Sherry Ann, you mentioned those of us of our age, and you're you're looking right now with Avish, and and I don't know about Mal, but I know about me. We're talking a spread of at least a couple of decades here. So, what exactly? Who whom exactly are you focusing on in that remark? You want to want to pinpoint that a little more demographically? For yeah, me? I would say late forties, fifties. I mean, it's it's about that age where people, you know, are now in management positions where they have the power and the influence to make these kind of decisions. Um, and and I, you know, I don't know that they're really thinking about. What will benefit us in the future? Um, more so than, you know, what do we really need today? And, you know, we need to answer that question for sure, but I think it needs to be more forward-looking. Technology just moves too fast. Certainly does. Let me circle back to Mal Pool. And Mal, thoughts on what Avi started and Sherry Ann just expanded for us, please? Yeah, I, I have a few things. One thing I want to go back to what Avi said earlier, because I think that there's a huge word relevant to this topic today, and it's trust. So even if we're change agents, we, we're the business leader, we're the CEO, you know, we can do what we need to to ensure people know something today they didn't know yesterday to help them through the change. But then we have to trust that they can actually go with it from there and use their judgment in a, in a business situation, whether they are, again, using Sherry Ann's um, analogy, you know, vision is driving the truck. They need to go the right route, or they could be steering the entire sales organization for a company they need to go the right route. It's the same thing. So it is a matter of enabling them with that trust. But going to where Sherry Ann just was, I think it's really important to make sure that it's not all about behavior within the HR organization. I think it is a matter of keeping pace even to technologies and innovations to help with the process. So when we talk about a framework that HR can help enable and empower the workers and the business leaders to help facilitate change in the organization, I don't think we can, we can or should ignore current innovations and in technologies to help with that framework, in which case as HR people and professionals, we can help dish it up, set the table, guide people through, but it's their change to manage. Thank you. Very well put. Avish, I'm going to circle back to you and ask you to comment on what Sherry Ann and Mal said, and I also am going to bring up one more point from your list before we move to Sherry Ann. So Avish, thoughts? 
Uh, yeah, I think, um, I mean, they're hitting the, the nail right on the head. I think, um, you know, when it comes to the, as I said, kind of what I said before, uh, I agree that, you know, we need systems, we need technology. Um, but I think it all starts with mindset. I think when, you know, I've, I've worked with HR people. I'll admit I have not worked in HR, but I've worked with HR people on this. And, you know, the problem is you got someone in the workforce, and even if you're empowering them, or giving them new tools if they're resistant because they've been doing things the same way, uh, it's going to be an uphill battle from day one. But once you can get someone to uh, have that mindset of, well, all right, we'll try this, we'll give it a go, then the process gets so much faster. I think a lot of organizations, because they're scrapped for time or resources um, or just some people are a giant pain in the you-know-what, it's just Mm -hmm. easier to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. This is going to help you just do it. Um, so without getting that sense of buy-in from them, it just becomes a very hard slog uh, for good reasons, but it's just kind of what happens. Thank you very much. And Avish, I promised I wanted to pick up one more of your topics here. I think this is very telling. It's not a specific case study, but it certainly could be one. You say the days of five-year plans are gone. The world changes too fast for that. So speaking of change, let's dial it back up the chain to the leaders who are making those plans. People who came up through the ranks, Sherry Ann, older than their 40s and maybe 50s or 60s, who are accustomed to looking ahead and being expected to deliver a business plan that looks out three to five years. Avish, and I'm going to go quickly around the table, Avish, is is three years too much compared to five years? Should it be a year, six months in terms of how much change can an organization stand before it becomes allergic? Avish, what's your POV? Uh, I think having a five or three year goal, like, hey, here's where we think we want to go is great. I don't think a plan really matters more than a year. And I advise people to look in more like 90 day chunks, because then you can really focus, get a lot done, make a quick evaluation and then adjust. Okay, very good. Sherry Ann, agree, disagree. That's a good one. I, I like that. Uh, make a quick evaluation and then adjust. And that ties into what Mal was saying, too. Like, he was talking about trust, um, enabling them to make the change and then stepping back. So I don't know. Do, what do you think, guys? Do we over-engineer and over-talk um, the change? Or should we just be putting it through more? Should it be that simple? Great question. Mal, what do you think? Well, I think I think a couple of things. With one thing Avish said I think is really important. He's talking about a goal at like a three to five year view, and I'll put the word vision in place of goal. I think that's where we envision our, our destination, if you want to say that's always moving. But I think one of the key words, and I forget if, who said it here today, but the word agile, and always being as agile as we can in establishing our actions towards that vision. And part of our actions is going to be to review what our action plan is all the time because we need to adjust on a constant basis to whatever it is. If we're in a financial services or a healthcare industry, we need to be able to react real time, almost like minute to minute, to either governmental obligations or uh, patient or customer expectations. So I think it really is a matter of staying as agile as absolutely possible. And one of the things Sherry just said triggered another thought as far as, you know, are we over-engineering? And I think the answer to it is it depends, because sometimes we're dealing about a change of culture or process. Sometimes we're talking about a change that has direct impact, going back to my healthcare example, Mm -hmm. on patient care that we have to ensure is rock solid before we continue or maybe even restrict work. It all is a matter of uh, degree, I think. 
Very important. Yes, degree is. Uh, let's go back to Avish. Any comments on what Sherry Ann and Mal just added to your point about flexibility, not planning too far ahead? And I love your concept, Avish, of not making a three or five year plan, but setting goals. Good differentiation, yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think the I think the big challenge with change, and frankly with anything, and kind of building off what Sherry Ann and Mal were saying, is people are looking for a grand unified theory of management, of change management, of leadership. Uh, you know, it, the hard part for people is that every case is different. So I agree 100% with Mal. There are some times where you got to really think things through, take some time. Uh, even there, I think you can break it down into small, agile bits, but you have to be very careful. I think the problem is people try to apply one methodology to everything because it's very comfortable, whereas I think the, as we move more and more forward and get more and more agile, it's going to be the groups that are able to look at each situation and handle each one appropriately as we go. Thank you very much. Sherry Ann, I'm looking at your talking points here. We've already covered about whether leaders today are too enmeshed in today's problems to really make good decisions as a uh, for the future, for who is part of that future today. And we talked about so many generations in the workforce. Sherry Ann, I don't think you talked about your growing up. You have this here in your notes about your household during the Great Depression. You want to share that? It's such a good story. Oh, well, I think that... I think that um, today's generations are a lot different and we're influenced by how we grew up. And so when I was growing up, my parents had both grown up during the Great Depression. Their attitudes towards what they would spend money on or what they would throw out or, or you know, what we changed around the household were certainly different than our attitudes today. And I think for the coming generation, it's going to be even more different. Um, but in my notes to you, Bonnie, I talked about that we recycled before recycling was in. Um, I could have had one of those little hair dryer blow dryers that, you know, maybe were $15 back in those days, and if it stopped working, my dad would take the darn thing apart and somehow fix it. Uh, he saved everything, <laughs> cords, wires, nuts, bolts, wood. Um, he could pull anything out of his hat at any point in time and fix something or build something new, and, and that's kind of how I grew up. So when I look at the software market today and what I'm doing today, I think, you know, I already have that piece of software installed that works. Why should I change it? You know, part of me thinks that way, and the other part of me thinks, you know, if I don't change, I will not be agile and able to respond to the future because the future is coming at us so rapidly. Good. Thank you for sharing that. You remind me, my dad had a little workshop in the basement. I don't think he was that handy, but he loved to tinker. And, and he didn't buy me a dollhouse. He made one. And instead of fancy little tables and chairs and lamps, he would take a toothpaste cap and he would put a little stem of some <laughs> screw or nail in it and paint it and make it into a lamp. It would wobble, but it was sure the best little dollhouse lamp I ever saw. And everything was handmade and homemade from little bits and pieces he saved. Sherry Ann, I, I think our parents came from the same generation and it was uh, parts yeah, of it were I value lovely. That. And, yeah, he also wouldn't open gifts right away. He wanted to save them just to savor at <laughs> a future date. We just packages. You know, you buy him something. He says, "Oh, that's great. I'll open it." in six months or a year. You know? It was always Hanukkah in our house because he always saves stuff. But Sherry, and I want to get to a quote you shared with me in your notes from Barry Schwartz, whose book is The Paradox of Choice, all the way back in 2004. And I bet a lot changed since then and since his 2005 TED Talk. And you talk about uh, Barry Schwartz is looking at modern individual freedom and how that individual freedom to choose leads to more choice. And that takes us to our word change. Sherry, and what's your, why is it so important about Barry Schwartz 
So you read the book? You, you heard the TED Talk? Tell me. I heard the TED Talk. I watch a lot of TED Talks. And um, if you've never seen the TED Talk, the guy is walking on the stage in short sneakers and a T-shirt. Uh, and he's just great. Um, but, you know, this is something that I struggle with with my kids. Like, I can't understand why certain things are so hard for them. And I think, well, we just did it. You know, we just went to school. We just got a job, you know. We didn't overanalyze everything. But I think Barry makes an important point that we live in a world where there is just so much choice now that it's impossible to know whether or not you're making the correct decision. And I think that sets a lot of young people off, but it also sets us, us off, too. Um, if I look at HR and they're looking at suites of software to make a decision on, every single person around that decision-making table will have a different opinion and a different background and will be bringing something different to the table. And it, it just sort of leads to that analysis to paralysis mode, and that's what Barry talks about. And he talks about how they've done studies where an employer who offers more investment choices for a 401k savings plan yeah. He said they've proven that the employees tend not to choose at all, and they literally leave 5% or more money on the table than they could have earned. The options are there, but it's more difficult for the person to make a decision. Uh, And so that certainly plays into how do we implement change, how do we even start change with the vast amount of choices and variations that are out there today. I don't know what kind of Coke I'm going to buy tonight. (laughs) <laughs> well, okay, we'll leave that on the table because it's time for me to circle very quickly back to Mal Poulin and tell him we are going to have exactly 60 seconds apiece for predictions. We had so much fun, we kind of missed our uh, our lightning round, so we're going to slam it in here, talk about being agile, Mel. I'm giving you 60 seconds, look ahead in the future. When will change change? When will change start changing, stop changing? When will change be manageable? When will agents of change be out of a job? I love 2020. Tell me how far in the future you can look. Mal Poulin, prediction, 60 seconds, go. But the prediction is kind of simple, is that we're, we're always just going to be grasping for the brass ring of change or successive change in adoption. Uh, one of my favorite um, quotes from a conversation recently is from 1953, as far as the communication strategy, and it's all what we're talking about today. It's concrete, it's considerate, it's consistent, and it's also, um, I think, relevant to exactly what we need to do. So it really goes back to, are things going to be different? They'll be somewhat different, but our challenges will be the same. Hopefully, we're able to get them quicker and more agilely, because that's going to be the characteristics of success, agile, change management, and, and the workforce. You did that so well. Thank you very much. Avish Parashar, 60 seconds, predictions. I know you're ready. Go. <laughs> yeah, so uh, change is obviously never going to go away. Uh, I think the change agents that will be out of work are the ones who don't change their approach to change, ironically, uh, because you got people teaching change management the same way they were 10, 20 years ago, and they're going to keep doing it. So they need to be just as adaptable. So I think change is always going to change. I think what I'm hoping we'll see is a change in really starting younger with education. I think we're still educating with an industrial age mindset, which is very rigid. Here's what we do. We're training you for a job uh, to a more creative age mindset where we're teaching people how to think and make decisions uh, and kind of circling really quickly back. I think in the future, the people who can make quick, strong decisions, not necessarily the best, you know, being satisficers to use paradoxical choice language instead of maximizers, are going to be the ones who really succeed and get ahead. Thank you very much, Sherry Ann. I saved, oh, 30 seconds for you. I know you can do it fast. Speed talk. Sherry Ann Meyer, predictions. Go. In my crystal ball, the user experience is going to be so smooth in 2020 that we won't have to worry about change. (laughs) And to to a vicious point, 
um, people who know how to think are going to be in the workplace, and so we're not going to have to explain and rationalize away every change. People are going to come in, sit down at their desktop, see different colors, see a different screen, and they're just going to figure it out themselves. Well, well, okay. Wouldn't that be nice? Agile and everybody will be his and her own agent of change. And I want to see what's on that screen. Thank you, Sherry and Meyer. You always pick great topics and invite wonderful panelists. And Mal Poulin and Avish Parashar certainly did not disappoint. As a matter of fact, the two of you delighted in every possible way. So, Avish, I hope our version of improv here on Game Changers Radio delighted you because we were certainly happy to have you. And Mal Poulin, as I said five times already, and I'm going to repeat myself, don't be a stranger come back more often we missed having you on the show i'm bonnie d graham that's the end of our broadcast day well two shows in one day is enough tomorrow morning at 10 a.m eastern i'll be back with a very important topic on our internet of things with game changers radio show some very very astute panelists uh, we're going to be talking about changing the face of cancer treatments with individualized personalized medicine one patient at a time very important topic wait till you hear what the internet of things is doing to change medicine and cancer treatment specifically. Thank you to Justin, our engineer, for getting us and keeping us on the air. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to Game Changing HR Leaders, presented by SAP and America's SAP Users Group. The best-run businesses run SAP and run simple. Tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and Twitter handle R-E-C-H-A-R-G-E-H-R. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.